Amen. It's great to be here. I want to say thank you to Pastor Bert, Miss Becky, for allowing me to come again. I'm always shocked that you invite me back, but no, I, I really do appreciate you very much, and I, I'm, uh, feelings are mutual about our relationship. It, it, I mean, just in the last probably five years or so, it's just gone deeper and deeper, and I, I thank God for my connection to you. As I say every year, I keep saying it, he's the reason why my wife speaks in tongues. I mean, I'm indebted to him as a result of that, because that Catholic girl could no longer be a very good Catholic after that, so... If you'll take your Bibles and go to the book of Ephesians tonight, chapter 2, I love the theme of this conference, Abiding in Truth, and uh, I'm, <clears throat> I want to I do something a little bit special, it's, it's special for me, and I think it'll be special for you tonight as well. I uh, delivered this to my church a couple weeks back, and I, as I was praying and asking the Lord, Lord, what, what, you, what word do you want me to bring tonight? And I came to this, and it was, after my father passed, <clears throat> I um, went, started going through his iPad, looking for sermons, looking, for, looking through all of his illustrations. I mean, it just had a wealth of those things in there. I mean, he's a preacher of preachers, and so I wanted to be able to find some things that I could share with my brother and sister and, you know, our family and, and then some of our pastors that we're in fellowship with and I for those of you that we are in fellowship with just know that I am working on that and so you'll be receiving some of that in the not too distant future but I was as I was going through his notes I came across a sermon one of the last sermons that he had written in his iPad but never got to preach it and I'm going to preach it tonight because I believe that this is a word for what you're talking about here, abiding in truth. And I'm, I'm honored to stand here shaking in my boots a little bit, but um, our church, I had somebody tell me when I finished this message, that's the best message I've ever heard you preach. I said, it's because it wasn't mine. <laughs> of course it was. Thanks, Dad. I was one up in me. <laughs> but first, I want to share this man is driving down this road, and his car suddenly breaks down near a monastery. So he makes his way over to the monastery, knocks on the door. <clears throat> he tells the monk who answers the door, my car broke down. Is it possible that I could spend the night here since the sun has already set? And the monk invited him in and introduced him to some of the other monks, said, of course, we have a place for you to stay. And they fed him dinner, and actually fixed his car for him, too. Well, as the man bedded down, and he's trying to fall asleep, he hears the most mysterious sound. Strange, mysterious, but it's exhilarating at the same time. He's never heard anything like it. So eventually, he falls asleep and wakes up the next morning, and he questions these monks about this. What was that sound I heard last night? And they said to him, we can't tell you because you're not a monk. And he said, oh, okay, well, thank you for letting me stay here and feeding me and fixing my car. And so he goes about his merry way and he gets in his car and he's driving and that sound is reverberating in his head. And he gets 100 miles down the road and he can't take it anymore. So he turns his car around, drives 100 miles back to the monastery, knocks on the door. The monk's 
hello, welcome back. And he says, I've got to know. I've got to know what that sound was. They said, we can't tell you. You're not a monk. Well, I'm, what does it take then to be a monk? I'm willing to be a monk right now. I'm willing to stop everything to be a monk. Okay, you want to be a monk? Okay, this is what you must do. You must travel the earth and tell us how many blades of grass there are. Count them all. And how many pebbles of sand there are. Count them all. And when you return, you will let us know what that is, and then you can be a monk. Forty years this man journeyed around the earth counting blades of grass and pebbles of sand. He finally made it back to the monastery, and he told them exactly what they wanted to hear. There are 145 trillion, 236 billion, 284 million, 232,000 blades of grass. And there are exactly three times as many pebbles of sand. And the monk said, well done. You are a monk now. Come, let us show you where the sound comes from. And so they made their way down, down low. They, they climbed, these, they descended these spiral stairs and came down into this room. And he, he began to hear the sound. And they came up on a wooden door and he went to open it, but it was locked. And he said, very funny. Can I please have a key? And they handed him a key. And he opened the wooden door. And when he opened it up, there was a door made of stone. You have a key to this. They handed him a key to the stone door. He unlocks the stone door, opens it up. The next door is a, a full ruby door. He puts the key in, opens it. Next one's an emerald, topaz, sapphire. And then finally, finally, he comes upon the source of the sound. But I can't tell you, you're not monks. <laughs> I spent most of my sermon telling you that joke. Now, can we back the clock up? <laughs> Just kidding. Ephesians chapter 4, chapter 2, I'm sorry, verse 4. We're going to read 4 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy. Everybody say rich in mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. We can all read this together. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Wonderful. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time, God. Thank you. What an incredible privilege it is to stand here in this pulpit of this great church. And I thank you now that you would grant to every hearer here tonight, including me, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. The eyes of our understanding being enlightened. Thank you right now, God, for illumination by the Spirit. Lord, we are here giving attention to your word. And as Mary said, we say that tonight, let it be to us according to your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.
there are some things I want to bring from this passage of Scripture, I think, that are going to help you stay in truth this year when you, when you grasp these truths and get them in your life. But it all starts with first hearing this word. Because if you don't hear it, then faith won't come. But faith has something that's following right behind it, always. And it's called revelation. John, uh, Paul said it like this in, first, uh, in Romans chapter 1. He said, uh, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then it says, for in it, in, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of, re, of God is revealed. So there's revelation. How? From faith to faith. So the gospel must first be heard and believed in order for us to really start to understand it. In this world, we have to understand something in order for us to believe it. We need to be taught something in order for us to, like algebra, <coughs> algebra. You had to be taught it in order to, to get it, but, but, but the, the gospel doesn't work like that. The gospel demands first to believe it, to hear it, believe it, and then revelation comes. And revelation continues to be unfolded from faith to faith. Love demands unreasonable mercy. Grace demands exalted life. Exaltation demands heavenly fellowship. Eternity demands increased revelation. Faith demands true humility. And recreation demands good works. Look at verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. This first thought here, love demands unreasonable mercy. So when I, was, when I came across, let me just say this. One thing that Dad did with this sermon, he didn't give any more information except these truths. So then I had to fill in the blanks. So you heard the best part already, okay? Just, so when it, it says, because of his great love with which he loved us, that, that's what motivated this rich mercy coming to us. So I went to the love chapter, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that you hear it in a lot of weddings. But as I'm reading through that very familiar passage of Scripture, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails, but that word, the word bears all things, I always thought that the word to bear means to come alongside and help support. Yeah, like we bear one another's burdens. But I found something very interesting. It wasn't the word that I thought it was. I, the meaning wasn't the same. This word bear actually means to cover over with silence. To cover over with silence, to keep secret, to hide or conceal, listen to this, to hide or conceal the errors and faults of others. Love bears all things. Love conceals or hides the errors or faults of others. In other words, God, this is what, what this is saying, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, God became silent about our sins by covering us with his love. Now, there's coming a day of judgment. We all know that. Feels like it's a lot closer than it was before 2020 hit. Oh, I mean, all will be called to order in the court in session, and God himself will be presiding over the proceedings of this court session, won't he? 
And there are going to be multitudes of people who are going to choose to represent themselves upon first refusing legal representation from one who freely offers to mediate their case for them. But, you know, they've lived life basically for themselves, so they think that no one can better represent them than, than themselves. Nobody really truly knows them like they know themselves. Hmm. And one after one will present his or her very feeble and fleeting case before the judge of the living and the dead, and they'll plead their case with phrases like, things like you hear today, I'm a good person, right? I did a lot of good things. Sure, I messed up from time to time, but who hasn't? I mean, come on. We're all, after all, human, but the way I see it, I did a lot more good than bad. I mean, this is human reasoning, right? Makes sense. I worked hard. I tried my best. I didn't drink. I didn't do drugs. Sometimes I gave money to the church. I made sure to keep other people accountable when I saw them doing wrong, even quoting scriptures. <laughs> <laughs> but one after another are found guilty as charged because the charge is this all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death but the other part of that charge is but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord see the error is that they think that they can earn heaven instead of simply receiving by faith the free gift of eternal life given to us by God through Jesus. But those who accepted the free offer of legal representation from the mediators, anybody in here, you've accepted the free offer of legal representation? Hmm? The mediator, capital M? Hmm? Okay, yeah. Yeah, see, that, the cool thing is, is he's going to talk to the judge for you. And, and, and he's going to say something like, um, <clears throat> your highest honor, I submit that my client and I have already reached a settlement. Um, and this settlement was reached based upon what is written in the Holy Scriptures, specifically section John Code 524, which says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. So my client did that. He heard my word and he believed on you who sent me. So this deal's done. And the judge will say, case dismissed. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Why? Because God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. And John says it like this in 1 John 4, 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. God isn't merciful to you because you deserve it. He is merciful to you because he loves you. Amen. And his love covers a multitude of sins. His love casts out all fears. Thank God. Your, your greatest, our greatest response to this love is to simply receive it. That's all we can do. It's simply, we are just recipients over and over and over again of this great God and this great mercy and his great love. God has made a way for you and I to obtain his mercy. And he says, but you're going to have to come on my terms to get it. And my terms are you come boldly before the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen.
Because, see, we come to God not, not on our own merits. We come with all of our confidence in his son. I'm here because Jesus made the way. And he's our advocate. He's the one who ever lives to speak on our behalf. His love demands unreasonable mercy. Verse 5 of Ephesians 2, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together. The second thought is that grace demands exalted life. Grace has brought us from being dead, dead in our sins, to being made alive and resurrected together with Christ. Is what it says. Because he rose from the dead, we are both raised and will be raised. From the dead. So, since we're raised from spiritual death and made alive in Christ by grace, we have been exalted to a life that is far above sin. It's far, far above sin and sin's effect. Thank God. Grace reigns over you now. I said, Grace reigns over you now. Since you're not have dominion over you, you're not under law, you're under grace. And so, therefore, grace is reigning over you. So, sin has no dominion. Grace teaches us that our exalted life. Uh, is, is one that denies ungodliness. It's one that denies worldly lusts. This is what grace exalts us above. Amen. We now live our lives with, with sound minds. We're agreeable to what is right. And we live godly in this present time. This is what the grace of God has done for us. It's always connecting us to our new nature so that we will live our lives well-pleasing to the Lord. We're living in this world, but we're not living like this world. It's so exalted us to a place that our thoughts and words and our actions are, or at least can be, governed by heaven's rule. Because we as the children of God are no longer of this world, but citizens of heaven itself. And we have a message as heaven's emissaries, according to 2 Corinthians 5. And our message is this, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not holding their sins against them. Hallelujah, what great news. And he's committed to us this ministry or this word of reconciliation. God's not looking at a sinful world today. He's looking at a reconciled world because of what his son did. Hallelujah. This is the good news that we preach, that we proclaim as heaven's emissaries. We've been brought from darkness and into light. Galatians chapter 3, if we can turn there for just a moment. I know you're familiar with this passage of scripture. Um, in verse 13 it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for who? For us. Is, is the us that's here in Galatians 3 the us that's here in Kerrville, Texas tonight? Okay, sometimes when you see us in the scriptures, you think, oh, that's them, us. No, you have to see, no, us is me here right now. So he became a curse for us. As it is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. Why? Why did he do that? Verse 14 tells us why. That the blessing of Abraham would come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, I love that term, the blessing of Abraham, right? We like, to, I'm blessed with the blessing of Abraham. What does that mean? I don't know, but it just sounds so cool. I have no clue what it means, but it's awesome. No, I mean, we, we get an idea of it, but it's such a huge blessing. And it's, and it's so dire that we understand it because Jesus had to die for us in order to get it. I mean, everything that Jesus died for, everything that he did for us, we need to know not only why he did it, but we need to get the benefit of why he did it. Huh? 
these exchanges that took place. Well, that takes us to Genesis chapter 14. Let's turn there. I'm going to hit one more scripture and we're going to come back to Ephesians. Genesis chapter 14. Um, Abram, at this time his name is Abram. He hasn't received his new name yet. And he's still kind of in the beginning stages with God uh, when you consider how long his life was. And he has to go rescue his nephew Lot because he'd been kidnapped. And, and the, of, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah had been kidnapped and all of the, the spoils had been taken away. And so there, were, there was this war with these five kings versus these four kings. Well, guess what? The five kings couldn't defeat the four kings. They ran for their lives. And now these four kings, one of those kings and, and his, had Lot and all these people. And so Abraham armed up his 318 total 318 against four kings and four armies to go rescue them. And then they split up into groups of four. Now we got them. <laughs> I mean, no match. And Vegas wouldn't put anything on them, right? I mean, they're, the, odd, they're, the odds are stacked against them. But guess what? They did it. They won. They defeated those four kings, and they rescued Lot and his family and the people of Sodom. And as they're heading back into this valley, it's called the Valley of Shaba. It's called the King's Valley. And the reason it's called the King's Valley is because only kings could go there. You know, there were certain places in the world at one time that only were reserved for royalty, like Cancun, Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> only royalty could go there at one time, but now Americans can go there because we think we're royalty. <laughs> but, but this is one of those special places. So you can see in the minds of the kings, how they saw Abraham as a contemporary. And so he's heading right into the king's valley, Valley of Shava, and this most mysterious character steps right in front of Abraham and faces him and says, Blessed are you, Abram of God Most High. He was the priest of God Most High by the name of Melchizedek. And he brought with him bread and wine, interestingly enough. And verse 19 says, and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. See, this is where you find you here because you're blessed with, this is just one aspect, just one. Blessed are you, Abram of God most high. I love the term, the, the words God most high. It's the Hebrew word Elyon, E-L-Y-O-N. You know what it means? It means an elevation a loftiness, uppermost. So what he said was, blessed are you, Abram, of the God of elevation, of the God of the uppermost. So now that you are blessed with the blessing of Abraham as Gentiles in Christ Jesus by faith in him, you are now not just, let's see, Olivia. Hi, Olivia. You're not just Olivia, even though it's a wonderful name. Now you are Olivia of the God of elevation. It makes you want to walk a little taller, doesn't it? It makes you want to straighten my jacket a little bit. I'm Eric of the God of elevation. The blessing of Abraham for which Jesus died so you could have means that you live at the top. There is no higher blessing than that of God most high. Our elder brother Jesus is the king of all kings. So since we're seated with him, that means we reign with him. Grace demands Exalted life. And then verse 6, and made us sit, how? Together. In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Exaltation demands heavenly fellowship. We're gathered here at this conference today. I'm so glad we're all here together. 
But we are, in a sense, kind of rehearsing <laughs> for our seated heavenly fellowship. Look around you. You're going to spend the rest of eternity with these people. Go ahead and smile. You might as well smile right now. <laughs> Be encouraged for the rest of eternity. Amen. So we come together like this, we really just get a small glimpse of what will be, but what a marvelous thing it's going to be. No matter what kind of week we've had, year we've had, the troubles, the pressures of life, the uncertainties, persecution, we come here and we remember who we really are and what we're really a part of. It's greater than what we can see. Amen. We start a, a, a new week in the house of the Lord. We, we come to a conference in the house of the Lord. Amen. We're here because we believe and we choose to continue to believe this truth. This is where we discover and know that our place here, we, we, this is where we belong, in fellowship. And when we're fellowshipping here, we're really just enacting that heavenly fellowship that's already been done. We belong here as well as to a heavenly cause and purpose in the earth. That's why the Bible says that we are all members of the body of Christ. The great D.L. DL Moody was eating a steak in a restaurant one day. And one of his young contemporaries, one of the students in his school, came running in. Because, you know, I, I teach in a Bible college, and you always have those students that think they have the question that's going to stump you. Right? Oh, I, I'm going to get them this time. I used to love watching my dad just wreck these students. That was one of my greatest. It was just so fun. But it, that's, that's the time for it. It's in Bible school. It's iron sharpening iron. They ask these questions. You know, they want to debate and do all those things. So this student comes in. He's got the question of all questions. Dr. Moody, Dr. Moody, if you knew Jesus was coming back in the next two minutes, what would you do? He said, boy, I'd eat this steak as quickly as I could. <laughs> And they kind of laughed about it. And then the student said to him, isn't it good to know that we are secure in the arms of Jesus? Dr. Moody said, boy, it's better than that. I'm not safe in the arms of Jesus. I'm safe as an arm of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. I find great hope and strength in being gathered with God's people. In this place is where we realize our potential in becoming all that is in the heart of God for us to become. Both in who we are and what he's called us each to do. You being here is a good thing. This is where you find answers. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Paul seems to just put a mouthful together all the time. And you got to just sit and think about what he just said. That in the ages to come, he might show the... What, what are the ages to come? He's going to keep showing the exceeding... There's revelation continuing. Eternity demands increased revelation. It's exponential. It's over and over again. We're always going to stand in awe of God forever. And heaven's never going to get boring. I know it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that because when I think about it, it's like, man, it's going to be a long church service. <laughs> if I'm just thinking in my natural mind, am I the only one here that's that carnal? Okay, I'm sorry for admitting that. <laughs> you know, in America alone, there are 300,000 churches. 
So there's 52 Sundays in a year. So if we multiply 300,000 by 52, every year in the United States, there are 15,600,000 church services. Now, that's only if there's one service a week. Just, we're just counting Sundays. We're not counting the Wednesday nighters, the Sunday nighters, the Friday prayer group, you know, all of that. We're talking about just on Sundays, 15,600,000 church services every year in the United States of America. That's a lot. Now, globally, there are approximately 10 million churches, 10 million churches across the globe. So if we only count Sunday services, then you're going to find 520 million church services held around the world every year. Half a billion church services, if we only meet one day a week. Okay, so that's over half a billion sermons preached annually. Think about this. So for every sermon preached, there is a particular revelation and interpretation of the Word of God proclaimed. So what we can just see in our own earthly experience is that the Word of God just keeps giving and keeps giving and keeps giving and keeps giving and keeps giving. This is just a small glimpse, again, of what the ages to come looks like. You can open that Bible over and over again and find a new thing at the same place, a new thing at the same place, a new thing at the same place, over and over and over again. And so we're seeing here, right here on the earth, what we're going to experience for all eternity. We're going to continue to stand in awe because heaven will never go tired. It will never become redundant. The splendor and the glory of God's amazing grace will always captivate us. And we will forever stand in awe of this God who we worship because he's going to keep showing us, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm gracious, I'm gracious, I'm gracious. Over and over again. It makes my head spin a little bit. Eternity demands increased revelation. We don't stop learning here. We've only just begun when we get there. For by grace, verse 8, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. That teaches us that faith demands true humility. Matter of fact, faith is true humility, isn't it? It, it, Because it's the admission of the truth, and it's the submission to the truth. I said it's the admission of the truth, and it's the submission to the truth. That God alone can save us from our sins. Are we all in agreement tonight? Okay. Are we all in agreement tonight yeah, about that? Yeah. Okay, only God, okay, good. So since we believe that we're saved by grace, then we can be assured about everything else. It starts there. But if you can believe that, then you can believe for anything. Wow. The way we live our lives is founded upon our faith in Him alone. So we daily walk humbly with the understanding and the awareness that without Him, like He said, we can do nothing. But we also humble ourselves under another thing He said, that if you can believe, all things are possible Amen. to him who believes. Wow. I have a, a Taylor guitar. I didn't bring it with me. Um, it's some, some of you guitar players are familiar with Taylor guitars. I bought it in 1997. It's an, an acoustic guitar, and it plugs in. It's not near as pretty as um, Olivia's, but it, it'll do. Yours is Alvarez? That's a beautiful guitar. Anyway... And I bought this guitar because I went to, I got sucked in by my friend who owned a music store out in San Angelo years ago named Van Osborne. And he told me, he said, you need to come and hear this guy play guitar. He's a representative for Taylor Guitars. I think you'll like him. I said, okay. 
And so uh, I took a friend of mine with me, and, and we're sitting at this place called the, the River Club there in San Angelo, and, and uh, they introduced this, this man uh, to come, and he sits down on Taylor guitar, and he starts kind of telling us about the craftsmanship of the guitar and teaching us about it, and these are made by a man by the name of Bob Taylor, and, and so they've, uh, uh, I have a signature series here, it's got a white rose here on the headstock, and by the way, my name's Doyle Dykes, and he starts finger-picking on the guitar, and I'm like, who is this guy? More importantly, if I get a Taylor, that's what I've been missing right there. And he wowed us all night long. I mean, he is playing the fire out of the guitar. And then I come to find out he loves Jesus and full of the Holy Spirit. And he was giving us, throwing these jokes out there. He said, I read the amplified version. You know, that's the guitar player's version of the Bible. <laughs> He's just kooky at the right level that I, I love him. So I bought, I bought my Taylor guitar not long after uh, attending that clinic. And um, so, I, but I didn't find the same possibility with me as I saw what, what Doyle Dykes could do on the guitar that night. It, it, and then, I, you know, it really had little to do with the guitar, actually, come to find out. I just traded two guitars and had to pay cash on top of that to get that thing. And it didn't answer my questions. It really only had everything to do with the one who was playing it. You know, that guitar, its potential would never be realized just by itself. It could not produce its own potential. It had to be put in the hands of somebody who could reveal the potential in its sound, in its accuracy, its tone, and all of those things. It could show what's possible. See, when you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he will lift you up. And he'll show both you and the world what he is able and willing to do through you. You are his instrument created for his pleasure and for his purpose. Your faith in him is your humble position of simply resting in his hands. Play away. And you come to that humble position where you realize that your life is not lived by human might nor by a position of power but by his spirit. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Say his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Lastly, recreation demands good works. Now, this isn't the Lord telling us, now you need to behave now. No, see, you're com completely recreated. It is now the fruit of your new nature. You know, you are called, according to the book of Isaiah, trees of righteousness. <laughs> so what do you bear? Fruit to holiness. That is now your natural thing. It's not about striving. It's really about shining, right? Because Jesus said you are the light of the world. We don't have to strive to be a light. We just shine. Amen. I was on a hunting trip several years ago with my brother out in West Texas, and um, We'd gotten out there, and, I, and he was new to the place where um, we were hunting because my father-in-law's brother, I don't want to go into all the details of it. Anyway, my father-in-law's cousin's brother, no, his brother had bought this land. They're, they're Kansas guys, and they only hunt two weeks out of the year, and he heard that you could hunt for like three years straight in Texas. No, three months. Anyway, and four, four months, three and a half, somewhere around there. So they want, he wanted to buy some property so they could all come down from Kansas and shoot these little, these little deer we have in Texas. So 
I brought my brother out there, and we spent the night, and I told him, you know, kind of directed him where his blind was going to be, but it was dark. You know, you got to get up in the dark and head toward your blind. They're, they're, each of our blinds were about three-quarters of a mile walk from where our cabin was, and so I had two flashlights with me. I just bought a brand new one, so I gave him my brand new one, and I had my one from the year before without checking the batteries. So I send Brandon on his way with his bright flashlight, and I start walking along the way, and my flashlight's on and quickly starts turning orange. I'm like, oh, my gosh, and I don't have any moonlight to help me, you know, so I'm kind of just trying to find my way. I'm just on this dirt road, you know, making my way down this path and just more trying to feel it now. And, and, and I found that as I'm, as I'm walking with that light ahead of me, I kept finding myself going off course. And I found myself out in the grass. I'm like, well, I, I mean, I can see a little bit. And so I'd put it back out there and, and I found myself straying again. And so I just turned the thing off and I found that I could actually get there in the dark better than I could following a dim light. The dim light cast weird shadows. It was confusing. See, if you're striving, you're dim. If you're trying to be good, trying to do good, you're a dim light. You just let your light so shine and just understand this is the fruit of who you are. You have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so this recreation now demands, it, it puts a demand on your recreated person to produce good works. And God prepared that a long time before that you could just simply walk in them. Isn't that beautiful? So be who you are. Turn to somebody and tell them, just be who you are. Just be who you are. You know what light does? Light by itself dispels darkness. Light itself cannot be seen, but it reveals everything in its presence. It fills all the space that's available to it. Light can actually be everywhere at once. Light is illumination, enabling us all to find our way. Light is color. It, it reveals incredible beauty around us. Light is warmth. It gives comfort. Light is energy. It produces power. This is who you are. Light is speed. It can be from here to there in an instant. It's essential for growth. It's essential for healing. Light reflects. Light carries signals of information. Y'all know about fiber optics. He called you the light of the world on purpose. In other words, knowing who you are as the light of the world, that means really nothing's impossible. <coughs> there is no darkness that can stop you. When the lights are on, the darkness is exposed. Amen. That's why the Bible calls the gospel the light of the gospel. Because when it's preached, the lights come on. This is why the world feels their darkness when the lights are on. And they might get angry about it. A lot of them do. Okay, that's just darkness being exposed. We just keep showing, showing the light. Just keep bringing the good news. Just keep shining. Keep being who we are. Can I get a good amen? amen. So abiding in truth is important for us this year and every year. But knowing these things, that love demands unreasonable mercy, not only for ourselves individually from God, but also from us to others. Grace demands exalted life. 
Grace is what reigns over you. So sin shall not have dominion over you. Amen. Just remember that because you're going to be tempted. No doubt about it. But remember, grace reigns. Exaltation demands heavenly fellowship. This helps you remember what you're connected to forever and ever. Eternity demands increased revelation. In other words, we ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) Faith demands true humility. I believe God. And so I say what God says. No matter what I'm seeing, experiencing, hearing, or feeling, I humble myself under his word. And recreation demands good works. Just be who you are. And that's all God wants you to be. He didn't call you to do everything. He just called you to do what he's called you to do. Amen? Father, thank you. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for your wonderful presence here tonight. I pray, God, that this word will do what only it can do. It searches the hearts. And I believe that it is doing that even now. It's a a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So, Lord, thank you for what you've done for us, first of all. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And we stand here blameless before you, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but by your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for this this lofty position that you've brought us in. Again, not by our works, but by grace. Lord, help us to just be ready recipients all the time. And as you are giving grace, Lord, We are responding in faith. Grace meeting faith. Grace and faith. Grace and faith. Working together where we see what we cannot see in the natural. Things that we cannot manufacture in and of our own strength. That supernatural, miraculous realm where grace meets faith. Grace meets faith. Let this be a year, God, in our lives like we've never known it before. Where grace meets faith. Grace meets. You always do your part of grace. Lord, help us do our part of believing. To believe. I believe God no matter, no matter what. As we were singing tonight, even. Doesn't matter what we're seeing. We know something different. So we have the authority to command on the earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in our marriages, in our children, in our grandchildren, in our workplaces, in our businesses, in our homes, in our churches, everywhere we go. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as heaven's emissaries, we call it down in Jesus' name. Heaven to earth in the name of Jesus. Thank you for it. Thank you for all of these excellent ones who sit here tonight. The excellent ones, the saints of the living God who are going to by faith in God and by their declaration of faith and hope 
make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. Circumstances are no chance for people of faith. No chance. Disease is no chance against people of faith. Sickness is no chance against people of faith. Lack has no chance against people of faith. Because it's not just by faith, it's by grace through faith. <laughs>